0: You are listening to the Nirvana podcast, episode 6. New people, new songs and bigger ambitions. Hello everybody and welcome to yet another episode of the Nirvana podcast. My name is Sietse.
1: And I'm Jiditja.
0: And what we do here is talk about Nirvana Yes. the band we discussed the history of the band and the music of the band and uh, try to um, bring it all together and listen to some audio uh, share our feelings uh, about it and uh, yeah walk you through the facts uh, of the band actually and the myths and the myth uh, <laughs> uh, as well and try to uh, distinct uh, the both yes. of them although that's sometimes hard to do Definitely. Uh, this is the uh, sixth episode that we're uh, that we're doing. Um, would you be so kind as of to remind the listeners to what they've already <laughs> heard or that they've missed?
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, in the previous episode, we uh, mainly talked about 1989, which was a year for Nirvana, in which they basically uh, toured, toured, and toured some more.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and they toured as well.
1: Uh, oh yeah, almost forgot they toured. <laughs> Yeah, so basically uh, we talked about them touring uh, the U.S., uh, touring uh, Europe, uh, touring with uh, another band uh, named Tad, the way they felt about being on the road together for so long. uh, We talked about um, Jason Everman being in the band and then out the band. (laughs) (laughs) They did some recordings um, for an EP that was supposed to be released in Europe, but then wasn't <laughs> it's really I
0: typical for the for the style of their um, first uh, record label sub pop. Exactly, they uh, always uh, recorded a single <laughs> or an EP to promote a tour, and then the single or EP would only come out uh, come out after exactly. they already finished the tour.
1: Exactly, that's so, a lot. Uh, yeah, so basically, nineteen eighty nine uh, was uh, a lot of touring, a lot of music, uh, very uh, tired uh, uh, members of Nirvana. Uh, but also uh, moments in which they really uh, settled their name as a band both in the U.S. and in Europe.
0: And if you go uh, even further back, then you can hear us talk about uh, side A and side B of Bleach, yeah. uh, Nirvana's debut album. And before that, the early days of the band and the childhood of uh, mainly Kurt Cobain, but also Chris Novoselic. Yeah. So um, if you haven't listened to that, go. Uh, you can check it out. Um, if you uh, are only interested in the later stuff, then uh, you're at the right place because uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. So we ended um, the last episode uh, around New Year's Eve, 1989, and the marriage of um, uh, um, Chris yep. Novoselic and his uh, girlfriend. Kurt's love life was in a different place. He was living with uh, uh, Tracy Miranda, in a small house in uh, in Olympia. Um, yep. What I read about it is that she was very, uh, he was basically living off her and she was really uh, supportive of him, but the relationship didn't really last.
1: Well, basically, uh, since he was touring so long, he was away from home for a long time, uh, which didn't help either. Um, their relationship was already uh, slightly strained because of their different lifestyles that Kept going further apart, I think And then him being away for so long uh, Really uh, made it difficult
0: Yeah, um, so, so some people speculate That the fact that Chris got married Raised expectations from uh, from Tracy But I don't know Yeah,
1: that's that's sort of the really personal <laughs> yeah. Stuff that you can't really speculate on yeah. I think only she knows If that was in fact the truth But yeah. um, we, can, we can safely say that That was something that at least, probably didn't come up in Kurt's mind. Um, it feels from from everything that you can read about it and and see in interviews that he, it wasn't the top of his mind. I mean, he was he was being a musician, and that always came first. And I think his his relationship with her was kind of on the back seat. Um, so that was definitely different from yeah. the way that, that Chris was handling his relationship
0: Yeah, and also, boring. I mean, Kurt kind of been an easy guy to be in a relationship with I mean, he had his mental problems, physical problems, big ambitions with the band yep. um, Yeah, but still, um, it was Kurt who actually ended their relationship yep. When they were uh, on tour in uh, April of 1990, he apparently called up Tracy On her birthday, (laughs) to to tell her that they maybe should stop living together. Yeah, Uh, but you know, could still go out something something like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I was gonna say you said like it it was Kurt who who broke up with her, but I think he he didn't really dare to break up with her. No. that's a Fakes recurring theme, head. Yeah, exactly. that's the, the same
0: way that he handled band members. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, because later that tour, apparently, he slept with a with a female fan, which wasn't common for Kurt or anyone in the band. They were, I think, they were so kind of judgmental about sleeping with groupies and, and yeah. stuff like that. But uh, this one time, it, it did happen. So maybe he was, you know, more or less hoping that uh, when he that when Tracy found out that she would break up with him, exactly. something like that, yeah. maybe. Um, yeah, but in the end, um, they uh, they did break up. They had to live together still for a couple of months because, well... Um,
1: yeah, it's hard to find uh, <laughs> another place uh, for uh, either of them to live, so...
0: Yeah, and um, yeah, in the meantime, uh, Kurt had already found a new love interest, um, a girl named Toby Vale. Um, who was uh, behind the band uh, Bikini Kill? Yep. We've mentioned her as well in the previous episode because she uh, also did uh, uh, the Go Team uh, project. Yes, she so, was they there as well. yep. so they had
1: jammed together. Yeah, so they knew each other already.
0: Yeah, I think they had a very different dynamic in their relationship yep. when they were going out because she was an artist as well. Yep. She was a musician, she had her own ideas and her own creativity, and she wasn't really ready to settle down
1: no she was well she's a feminist Uh, she really rallies for women's rights Uh, she's the one who actually coined the name riot girls yeah um, which was a big thing back then i don't think it's people nowadays remember that but riot girl with the the r of girl girl yeah like that was a big thing and really important for especially uh, women in in the music business to be able to to really take their place so i think they they sort of found each other in that aspect they were able to talk to each other about not just making music but also the ideas behind being a musician i think that was important and if you read the reports on their relationship, it seems that that was the most important thing that, that the whole relationship part of the relationship was actually sort of on the back burner. It was just because like she was a woman and he was a man and they spent so much time together that they were sort of in a relationship. But still he
0: was really in love with her. right? I mean, um, yeah, both uh, being in love with her and, uh, and then uh, after the breakup, it would be a big inspiration for her to write yep. new songs. I've read that uh, the line "I uh, love you so much, it makes me sick" from uh, Aneurysm, mm-hmm. the song he wrote around this time, I suppose, it came from uh, one time they had a date and he was so nervous that he actually had to throw <laughs> up. <Yep. laughs> so he, he was crazy about her. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Want to listen to have you listened to a uh, Bikini Kill? Yes, definitely. From, uh,
1: they reformed recently um, oh, really? and did some uh, did some uh, shows together, which uh, also uh, sounded pretty good. So it's good to know that they uh, that they're still uh, into music.
0: Yeah, that's nice. Okay, so here's um, a Rebel Girl from Bikini Kill. Were you into the rebel girl movement or the riot girl movement?
1: Yes, sort of. Not as much as other women were. But the fact that there was this whole group of females being in more heavier music and and that also contains women like uh, the girls who were in Sonic Youth and Pixies and bands like that that were actually mixed. That was definitely a big deal and I I remember that that was something that was really inspiring um, to be able to have those women who made heavy music. I mean, their, their femininity was still important but on the other hand, they were also like part of the guys so having that combination i think that was especially back then was was pretty new and pretty special and it was and it it wasn't
0: just the music right i mean i've read that they had at at shows they had uh, women stand uh, in the front and men had to stand at at the back because you know because of the the um, physical strength of men and being really rude and stuff like that exactly for a lot of um, girls and women it wasn't really Always safe to go to a concert. I mean, guys groping them and stuff like that, exactly. and they really want to make a, a statement against that. Yeah,
1: and and that that emancipation, uh, as you could call it, was uh, yeah was really uh, really inspiring and really really important as well.
0: Um, yeah. And I think it had this impact on Kurt as well. I mean, yep. later, in, uh, sometimes at shows, he would also uh, take a stand against it or sometimes yep. even stop performing to have a guy uh, kicked out or something like <laughs> exactly, that. I've, yep. I've seen a video on YouTube of him doing that. that yep. just...
1: Hearing what she was doing and seeing that made him more aware. And I think we, we talked about things like this before, that Kurt wasn't really like a political artist per se, but he would be really sensitive to his friends, people around him, problems that other people might have. That would often inspire him to do something with that as well. And I think this is a really great example of how how her feminist stances and the things that she did and her friends did really were a good influence on him and made him realize things that he wouldn't have realized otherwise. So yeah. that's really good.
0: Yeah, cool. And also they could make uh, music together. Yeah. Um, Toby said they didn't really, you know, write songs together but they did play uh, uh, their own songs for for each other and at one time uh, Kurt said to her uh, that uh, the first thing you have to do is decide a singing style (laughs) and for her that's like a really nice new fresh take on writing songs because she she never thought of doing that and I I guess that the other way around um, he probably picked up some stuff from her as well Um, yeah, they, they also did some um, music together. Apparently, they at one point they made a tape called "The Bathtub Is Real." Yep. <laughs> I don't think it's it's ever surfaced.
1: No, it, it's it's supposed to. Somebody's supposed to have it. Probably she has it, <laughs> mm. but it's 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 never been heard by anyone else. So that's a gem that lots of people including me would definitely want to listen to because yeah. I mean I I like I like her music as well and I think it could be really interesting to hear on the other hand if they were just jamming it could be a load of irrelevant it's probably not that good exactly So it's probably
0: it, more uh, interesting than it's exactly. no, that's good but you know as, as fans you always want to have like the complete
1: <laughs> <Exactly>. picture
0: <laughs> and catalog uh, yeah. but then again I think it's good that there's also some stuff that's supposed to be out there but yep. nobody has ever heard it, it it's like yeah. You know, uh, in our minds it's probably more interesting and better than it, it <laughs> yeah. really is. Perhaps one day it'll, it'll show up. Yep. Do.
1: I do find it interesting though that Kurt did a lot of jamming with different artists. We talked about that before as well, and he did that in this period as well. And had this idea about having like lots of bands and lots of combinations and stuff like that but other than than like the odd song on somebody else's album or whatever, nothing really came from that, which also sort of makes me think about the quality because if for instance, he and Toby had really made very interesting music, they might've been trying to either get it out there or do some gigs or whatever but it all every experiment that he did with others really stayed within the rehearsal room Um, yeah so it it probably influenced me a lot uh for his work on nirvana yeah nothing really came from it
0: no and i also think that um he kept his songs exclusively for nirvana yeah uh, because he wanted to have good songs for his band, because he had big ambitions with that and yeah. even uh, growing ambitions uh, for it. Yeah. So I don't think... He, did he ever write a song for somebody else?
1: No. He, he
0: hardly ever gave one away, did
1: he? He, he, he gave one of the outtakes to Hole. I mean, we'll get to that later. I yeah. think, maybe not. Old this age. Old age. Old age, yeah. Old age, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I haven't lined up that one. (laughs) It's just from a a little later period, but but we'll we'll. we'll, Keep on listening, uh, people. To the next episodes of <laughs> the Nirvana podcast, we will play the demo version of that song yep. and we'll play Hole's version of that song and compare the two. But uh, not not this time. <laughs> oh, we have enough to to talk about this time. Anyway. We have a lot to talk about. Yep. Um, also, a lot of new songs because yep. I think this uh, period was Kurt's creative peak. Yes, he definitely. wrote a lot of songs yep. and a lot of good songs. Yep. Um, a lot of
1: stuff that, that didn't make Nevermind but then went to In Euro. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's sort of he wrote a, an album and a half and more.
0: One ever listened to um, one of his new songs that never really made it to an album. Yep. Uh, okay, so it's a solo acoustic uh, demo of uh, the song Verse Chorus Verse. <laughs>
1: Up of a lot of other different yeah. Nirvana songs, this is sort of the, this would be as if, like, if you'd ask Kurt, like, okay, so what does your band sound like, and he's just all alone without others, and he's like, oh, something like this, and yeah. he'd play this, and he's like, oh, okay, okay, that's, that's the Nirvana sound, It's interesting.
0: Yeah, well, it, it was like the, the new Nirvana sound, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah. this isn't a song that would sound like a lot of stuff that's on the Bleach album because they've moved past that at this point I think Kurt was writing more melodic songs
1: Yeah, definitely
0: I always got the feeling that he did that consciously that he really wanted to move to a more pop sound structure Although he didn't want to sound
1: too much like no, that no. either, because there's this story that that they did one song of which there's not even like a tape. That uh, Butch Vig, their producer, said, "Oh, this is this is gonna be great," and he thought he it sounded like uh, R.E.M. Hmm. Um, which he said out loud. I mean, R.E.M. was this was just before R.E.M. got really big as well. I mean, they'd done like four albums, so they were already popular, but. And apparently Kurt said like, okay, so that's the reason why I don't wanna pursue this song any really? further, yeah. But,
0: but he really liked R.E.M. He yeah, liked R.E.M. Like but connection.
1: I, exactly, but I think that having somebody else say this sounds like R.E.M. was maybe a bit too much for him because that sort of confirmed that he was going too much in, to that direction, perhaps.
0: Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. I think it was their later producer, um, Steve Albini, Who uh, who wrote them off as um, REM with the (laughs) fuzzbox?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So that
0: comparison was there, and I think in a way he was proud of it, but in a way he didn't want it to be too poppy.
1: Exactly. But it's it's interesting because like we were talking before about like having having um, Guns N' Roses uh, become popular, uh, REM become popular, and then you have Nirvana somewhere in between. There's like there's something with like the, the 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 zeitgeist of of what was happening—that all of those bands were like little parts of the same sort of musical movement.
0: Yeah, yeah, but but he was definitely uh, turning more to a um, pop song yep. writer than like the definitely. more lower, heavier metal-sounding stuff that's on uh, that's on uh, Bleach.
1: Yeah, exactly the, f- the the reason I think why this this demo you just played, which didn't have obviously a title and was just called Verse Chorus First. But that's also naming it that um, explains more about the traditional pop song. of Yeah. First Chorus First. True, he,
0: he knew what he was doing. <laughs> exactly. Then again, he really liked the title First Chorus First because <laughs> yep. he wanted to call uh, the In Utero album at yep. one point First Chorus First. Yes. And the song Sappy is uh, <laughs> eventually got released. Named verse, Verse, chorus, verse, 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 so we really liked calling something (laughs) verse, chorus, verse. Also, I think that with their new, like, uh, more uh, accessible sound and new songs, uh, that was a big reason why they uh, um, decided to fire their drummer, Chad Channing. It's a bit of a... (laughs) <laughs> tragic story I think yeah. I mean he, he went uh, through them um, Through a lot of rough times And the tour that we, we've discussed uh, Previous episode And then um, yeah then he basically got uh, Kicked out of the band yep. During uh, 1990 um, Although he himself said that he quit yep. <laughs> Because he was more like A multi-instrumentalist And he wanted to write his own songs yep. Which he did I, this I think is, uh,
1: probably uh, again, uh, like we talked about uh, before, uh, Kurt not being able to to really say what he meant, and also probably, I mean, of, I avoid the confrontation all, exactly. And I think they all knew. I mean, they had they had confrontations during the tour. They had confrontations during the first sessions uh, for what eventually would become Nevermind. Um, uh, they just didn't get along that well anymore.
0: Well, maybe not musically, but I've never heard that they had a row or they had a problem with him or, or no, anything. No,
1: but apparently um, if you have musical differences, they can become personal as well. Apparently when, when they did those first sessions, um, Kurt would sometimes just take over the drums and, and tell Chad like, no, this is how I want it to sound like. That's a musical difference, but it you can't be happy if somebody does that
0: <laughs> no especially not if, if um, Kurt Cobain does it because he exactly. wasn't a good drummer
1: exactly so I mean and so they apparently they didn't communicate that well anymore uh, so that that wouldn't have helped either.
0: No. Nee. Yeah, uh, one of the last things that uh, Chad did do with the band was, uh, well, they had had a photo shoot, you know, with the... Oh, right, yeah! (laughs) Right before they kicked him out, they had a photo shoot. I don't know why they (laughs) did that. Kurt uh, spray painted a a plus sign and a minus sign, and in every shot, Kurt and Chris were uh, standing underneath the plus sign, and Chad was standing underneath the minus sign. Which I don't know. Maybe it was their, their way of, of of telling him that he was out of the band. But it was really weird.
1: Very subtle. <laughs> yeah,
0: it was really really stupid. I like. mean, what are you going to use those pictures exactly. for? No, it, it didn't make any sense. Uh, but uh, actually, I was going to say that um, Chad did do um, uh, the studio session so with them in the yes. uh, uh, Smart Studios. Yep. Point. They were supposed to make another album for Sub Pop. Yep at that point I think Kurt wanted to call the album Sheep Sheep, yeah. I think it had something to do with the feeling that people were getting on the, the bandwagon and they were all like sheep yep. uh, behind uh, <laughs> exactly. the shepherd something, something <laughs> like that but there's a lot of um, Songs on there that uh, later made it to the Nevermind album. Yeah, they uh,
1: they, they already worked with Butch Vig. Yeah, um, the so producer they had the same producer. He was he was being called in by uh, the sub pop guys who thought it would be a nice match, and it turned out to be. So they were right about that.
0: Yeah, and if you listen to those recordings, which were uh, among the last work that um, Chad did the drumming for, um, it doesn't sound that different. No. Uh, of course, later they would fly in uh, uh, Dave Grohl to, to complete the band. Yep. And he also said, well, I b- just play, b- played uh, Chad's parts. Yep. Basically just the same. You can hear it on a song like um, In Bloom. So uh, let's listen yep. to how that sounded uh, in an, on an early stage which uh, still uh, Chad drumming.
1: No, no, you can hear subtle differences just in the way it's played, like the sound is slightly different but it is the same drum track, I mean
0: Yeah, and I think that the fact that it sounds a little different has probably more to do with the the way it's been uh, produced and recorded and mixed than the way it was played Still, um, Chad was uh, was out of the band, so once again they were uh, without a drummer Yep Their old drummer Dale Crover um, came back to help him out. Yeah. Drummer of the Melvins, who had uh, worked with uh, with those uh, guys before, but uh, he wasn't there to stay. It was just yep. you know to uh, to fill in the gap. And then they got uh, Dan Peters from mm-hmm. Mudhoney.
2: Yeah.
0: Dan Peters uh, basically did everything once. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: I believe he did one show with them. Yeah. He did one interview with him
1: Oh, I didn't know that
0: And he did, he did one photo shoot Shutes, with him yeah. uh, So again, there was a photo shoot which was completely useless <laughs> almost immediately after that because then he got replaced Yeah. But he also did one uh, recording session yeah. uh, with them for their um, next uh, sub-up single yeah. on a song called uh, Cold Sliver So I think that's the only recorded song uh, with Dan Peters on, uh, on drums yeah. Yeah, that's again. That's more a pop-sounding song. Yeah, definitely. I think it was pointing it to the their, their, their new direction. I just uh, found on Reddit uh, a letter that uh, that Kurt wrote. Somebody posted it on Reddit. It looks Reddit. It looks pretty um, pretty authentic to me. It's like a letter to the fans, and Kurt wrote a new single. A side sliver poppy B side dive riffy, spiffy. So <laughs> that's he he knew what he was doing. Yep. <laughs> um we have a solo uh demo of um uh, a sliver with an extra verse. Yep. Have you ever uh, yep. heard yep. that? Because because it's um yeah, let's listen to yep. that first. So that's how uh, how Kurt uh, wrote it Um that uh, the verse with uh, with a cigarette uh, got uh, scrapped. Uh, cut yeah cut yeah. yeah that's the word I was looking for <laughs> mom and dad went to a show they dropped me off the Grandpa Joe's I kicked and screamed so please This is the final version that got released with the Dan Peters on drums.
1: It's not as, as heavy as some of the other drummers, but other than that, it, it sounds perfectly yeah
0: fitting. Yeah, and I think they were more or less happy to have Dan Peters on there, but yeah. then they got a chance to have like their perfect drummer, <laughs> at least in their, um, in their mind. Opinion, yeah. yeah, because um, there was a guy called Dave Grohl yes. from uh, Virginia.
1: There he is, finally! There, there he is,
0: finally. <laughs> he got uh, name-dropped a few times already on this uh, on this uh, podcast. Um, he was in bands from a very early age, yep. I think.
1: Yeah, and, and and he started out actually being a guitarist yeah. um, and, and got into drumming later, or at least he was interested in drumming from a young age but never really got to play the drums, which makes sense. It's not the first <laughs> thing you pick up. Uh, yeah. But apparently, he was in in couple of bands during high school um, and then apparently one of those bands broke up or whatever yeah. and that gave him the chance Bain, to
0: Bane Bane Dremage I believe yeah was called? Like Dane, Dane yeah I
1: think
0: that one Dane um, uh, another one was called Mission Impossible Yeah. and they actually played the Mission Impossible uh, <laughs> uh, tune so um, I, I found that recording or ah, at nice. least uh, a recording that's labeled uh, like that so I, uh, I just have to, to trust That it's the authentic uh, thing. (laughs) This wasn't what he. uh, Um, got uh, famous for um, No Because um, after a while he ended up with a, a band called Scream Scream, yes um, And there he was the drummer Yeah At least uh, on most uh, occasions Yeah I think Kurt and Chris one night went to see Scream and afterwards they said wow, if we could ever get a drummer <laughs> no, like that, yeah, that, that yeah. would be great
1: Yeah, because they had again a connection through the Melvins Yeah Um, so apparently the guys from Scream were friends with the Melvins Um, so that's how Kurt and Chris ended up at that gig and, and listened to that band so, yeah, yeah,
0: and then uh, when that band fell apart uh, Dave Grohl called Buzz Osborne and said, hey, uh, I don't have a band anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, could you give me some advice? And then Buzz said, well, there's these guys called Nirvana. I believe they are looking for a drummer. Yes. And that's how the connection got made. And again, they didn't handle it very well. <laughs> uh, I think in some interviews, you can still hear that Dan Peters is pretty pissed off with mm-hmm. the way they did that because during that interview that Dan Peters did, yeah, while he was part of Nirvana, Dave was already hanging around.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah, wow.
0: he was like at the same house or at the same yeah. place, something yeah, because like that.
1: They, I know they, because Dave wasn't local, they, yeah. they'd flown him in yeah. to, to play with them and try him out.
0: Yeah, he likes to tell the story how he uh, <laughs> put his uh, drum kit into cardboard boxes and flew to Seattle, and then yeah. first he lived a couple of months with um, Chris yeah. and his uh, wife, and then, Later, uh, Kurt lived alone in the apartment where we used to live with, with Tracy. Yep. And then he moved in with Kurt, had to sleep yep. uh, on, on the couch <laughs> yeah, exactly. in, a, in a, a place that's so gross that we can probably <laughs> can't even imagine it with all the pets yep. and all the-
1: Exactly, all of the trash and the trash. And, and, and I, I, I think it's good to, to remind our listeners that even though Nirvana had done the touring, they'd done bleach, they were still a poor band because pop was was on the verge mm. of breaking yeah. down. Um, there wasn't a lot of money to earn with touring Europe and whatever, so they were still not not rich and famous. No,
0: <laughs> so no, they had that, to sort stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, because the label didn't have any money, right. and and the band members certainly didn't have no. any money, especially not Kurt because he didn't work. No, besides, no, Chris um, did, but he. Yeah. Didn't. Yeah, so uh, so that's how uh, Dave Grohl got, uh, got introduced. Uh, I think he kept it hidden a bit, but he was also writing songs already yes. at that point. But he probably knew that Nirvana was Kurt's band, and yeah. he wrote all the songs and he made the artistic choices.
1: Yeah, and like you said, um, when he when he became a band member he at first uh was really uh servo, as in he would do different parts that previous drummers had done and he wasn't too much into oh let's i have some new ideas yeah. or whatever so that did, I think he, that was really smart of him
0: i think he was being smart as well yeah yeah, yeah. but he he already uh, wrote some uh, some songs at that uh, point yep. um here's a song called a friend of a friend that uh, apparently he he demoed he plays So that's more like a, a, a soft acoustic song, but he did some uh, rougher stuff uh, as well.
1: Yep. I was hoping you'd play the other song. <laughs> oh, uh, Pokey the Little Puppy? <laughs> yeah, but that's... Okay, that's here, just here we go. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: It's an instrumental track. Uh, I think this was recorded later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you can hear that he was into metal as well. I think he knew that he had to kind of hide that.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can hear it here uh, quite well. And um, that used to be one of my favorite children's books when I was little. Pokey the Little puppy. (laughs) Oh, that's why why you wanted to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite funny that he, he named that heavy song after a Children's book. Yeah, it's same same sort of feeling that Kurt had with titles, I think. <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> but but you can what it, what I find interesting, you said like he he probably had to hide his like his his metal interests slightly. Uh, but you can also hear by just listening to these two tracks that on the one hand he fit Nirvana very well, and on the other hand you can also already hear his interest for what would happen after Nirvana. So yeah, it's quite yeah, it's a quite quite clear idea about his music which is interesting i think
0: yeah or maybe he wasn't thinking about his career after nirvana but you know have a, like a side project exactly because uh, yeah. during nirvana i mean it, it was skipping a few years uh, ahead here but he already released yeah. a cassette yeah. called, called late, late. Yeah, on yeah. which he wrote the songs and he he's, he's yep. was singing and uh, so he was more than a drummer but i Definitely. think he knew not to not to push no. that
1: no and i think that that's something that that Often people don't realize because when he started his own band after Nirvana, people were like, Oh, but that was Nirvana's drummer, and what? Because it's not often that a person who is a drummer in a big band um, then becomes the frontman of their own band. Yeah. Um, but Realizing that he was already, like we said, he started out being guitarist, not a drummer He was writing his own song. He's a good singer, I mean yeah. you can hear him on a lot of Nirvana songs as well I think that yeah. was a plus That was already there But most people don't realize that
0: Yeah, that's true um, And the fact that he could sing, I think, was a big positive thing for yep. Nirvana Especially during their live performances yep. Because now they could sing harmonies live on stage Exactly And you know, it would make their sound, once again, just a bit more accessible Yep and Definitely. as a drummer, he fit the new sound and a new course, yep. you know, just to keep it steady, steady beat going yep. on.
1: And I think that was that was probably at least at first the most important thing, because what I find really interesting is that there's a lot of stories about the other drummers that we just talked about who were like filling in like Dale and, and people like that, who they did like one session with or whatever and then Kurt would go on later to say like oh that song it didn't really work until that drummer worked on it and then it all sort of made sense to me so actually those couple of drummers have been more influential than they actually I think got credit for and then when Dave came in he just started out repeating what the other drummers did So his influence Only came a bit later I think So it's, yeah. I find it interesting that, that Even though Kurt credits The previous drummers With a lot of, of Musical Influences He still Didn't want them To stay in the band Which yeah. is a really A weird kind of of contradiction.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's pretty hard to be the drummer on <laughs> uh, on early Nirvana because yeah. uh, Kurt and Chris were best friends. They started it. They were like the dynamic duo yeah. of the, of the band. Yeah. Um, Kurt was very critical of the drumming. Yeah. Always talked about the drum sound he wanted to get on the on the recordings. Yeah. He thought he could drum himself as well, <laughs> exactly. which well, he he could drum yeah. but not not very good like we just uh, like we just said. And, but, and I
1: think he could um, Probably he often was inspired by and interested by the ideas about the the drum parts in the songs that those drummers had but he wasn't particularly a fan of how they executed it and I think that's where Dave came in and was perfect because he executed the ideas of the previous drummers better than the previous drummers themselves.
0: Yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. Because he was a really tight, hard-hitting uh, exactly. drummer. Yeah. Kurt himself was all, uh, was also really, really happy with getting uh, Dave on board. Uh, he, he called him the best drummer in the world uh, <laughs> to uh, to budge fake on the phone. And in that same uh, letter, I just um, uh, read, um, a quote from about the new single he also wrote new drummer this new kid on the block can't dance as good as your mtv favorites but he beats the drums like he's beating the shit out of their heads <laughs> his name is dave Grohl. yeah so he was really really excited he's now an important cornerstone in the nirvana institution so i mean it's probably a bit sarcastic and funny but also he was really really happy with getting uh, getting dave uh, yeah. on board And with them living together That meant that they could Play music together as well Exactly And they did At least on one uh, occasion I think Because uh, from 1990 There's a home demo Of the song uh, Pen Royal Tea Oh right Yeah. And it sounds a bit like The earlier solo demos Mm -hmm. That we've heard But you can uh, hear some um, Percussion on it as well And I think it's Dave But I'm not 100% sure But uh, let's listen to it Check, 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 check yeah
1: <laughs> it's interesting though it, it, it this one sounds again like earlier demos from other songs we talked about um has more of that felt underground influence going on, but that's totally gone when you hear the. Official final version, final version. Yeah.
0: yeah But it's interesting because uh, I just quoted uh, That uh, Toby had said That Kurt talked about If you were, write a song First you have to figure out The singing style Right And that's completely different yeah. Than he ended up with Maybe that's why he wasn't Happy with the song definitely, At this point definitely. And then he tried something else But uh,
2: yeah
0: Yeah it sounds, uh, sounds uh, uh, Interesting I like it actually yeah. If he uh, has this low voice Because it's yep. it's Different than Almost any other um, Yeah definitely. Vocal take He uh, he does so it could have been cool.
1: interesting if, if they pursued this version, I think. Yeah,
0: Yeah. but uh, well, it, this is how it started out. Yeah. So uh, he, w- he wasn't happy with it for some reason yeah. and decided it had to be different. Um, I'm very f- uh, thankful that you, uh, once again, uh, name dropped uh, the Velvet Underground. <laughs>
1: yes, I did that on purpose. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. You
0: were looking ahead <laughs>
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> because uh, during those um, uh, sessions for um, their Next album, yep. they also uh, recorded a cover song from yeah. The Velvet Underground. Exactly, and uh, I think by playing this, we can finally uh, <laughs> stop referencing The Velvet Underground yeah. all of the time. Which this is
1: the, the end of the Velvet Underground era. I think. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think so too. And,
1: and I have opinions on that end, but let's let's, <laughs> let's yeah, let's play listen bit to it. it.
0: Yeah. The way uh, you just said you had an opinion about this one, Um, give me the feeling that you don't really like it, or...?
1: I do, sort of. Um, What I don't get is for a band who were definitely inspired by The Velvet Underground, and Kurt also said that, I mean, everybody who who was in punk rock and, and guitar music that time had been influenced by them one way or another. Um, In songwriting as well They did songs that had that Velvet Underground feeling And then now finally they do a Velvet Underground um, official cover And it's just uninspired Apparently they hadn't really rehearsed it anyway And they just did it during the other sessions Yeah, because
0: they they were working on their... Exactly. next album and they exactly. were asked to contribute uh, yes. a, a song to a Velvet Underground tribute album yes. stuff yes. like that so they just decided it's, it's a quick spontaneous take
1: yeah yeah and, um, and I think you can hear that I think they were preoccupied with doing their own work um, and then had to just do a Velvet Underground song We're like okay yeah we know this one uh, let's, go. let's go. Let's do it, and then we can own with our own work. So that's that's what bugs me about this one. I think that their interpretation is is interesting, but it it really sounds uninspired. And and for Ben to have been influenced by them, I would have loved to hear a really like like they did later on with other covers of people they admired they made interesting covers and this is just you can hear it's like a throwaway version and uh that, yeah that's yeah
0: yeah i can, <laughs> can imagine yeah well um
1: which again I, want to... I don't yeah. like it but it's it
0: could have been better yes yeah well again i'm grateful that you made like a very easy uh, <laughs> uh, connection to to the next uh, thing i wanted to talk about which is their final release on uh, a subpop uh, yep. label uh, which was a cover song yeah they did a split single with uh, the band called The Fluid, mm-hmm. and it was a live version of Molly's Lips. Oh
1: yeah, right. Yes. A
0: song by uh, the Vaseline. Yes, I think this was the biggest throwaway that ever got <laughs> officially released because yes. Kurt didn't even like the recording. I don't not- know how it came to be. I yes. think Sub Pop knew that you know there was their final release and they had to put out something, something and then yes. decided on, on, on this one. Uh, exactly. I'm I'm not I'm not really uh, really sure. Want to listen to um, the fluid as well, or shall we just
1: um, go to Molly's lips? Just go to Molly's lips.
0: Okay. Yeah. Sorry, fluid. <laughs> It's a live version of Molly's
1: Lips (laughs) Exactly, what else can you say about it? Yeah,
0: well you can say about it that it wasn't anybody's favorite because when later the Incesticide compilation album uh, got put together they picked um, Molly's Lips from uh, the John Peel session they did later and not not the single version so it didn't make a lot of sense uh, I suppose, but it was their final goodbye to um, to Sub Pop yeah, Records. Yeah,
1: because that's I think that this is <laughs> the moment to to talk a bit more about that. Because they, well, they went to another label, but it all started out with, as we talked about before, Sub Pop, they, they were really good at marketing and they yeah. tried really hard, but um, the financial part of, of being a record label is just Yeah, as they were permanently
0: on the on the urge of, of bankruptcy.
1: Exactly, exactly. And and that was also why they had to resort to stuff like this, like, oh we need to, to release something because that will make money, but we don't really have any money to record something and it was all like if you look at what they did with Nirvana and also their other bands, there wasn't a really good plan, I think.
0: <laughs> no, well, their plan was to get the hype going and yeah, exactly. that, that worked extremely well yeah. because that's also why um, big uh, record companies were interested in yeah, the definitely. bands that were on SOPOP. Yeah.
1: But they were so much into the height that they forgot to make it sustainable. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's absolutely true. Yep. Um, well, it it did work out in the end, but yeah, that was a yeah, it was a bit of luck involved with that. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: And also, um, I think Nirvana was very keen on leaving Sub Pop because yep. they had bigger ambitions. Exactly. Another well, not very um, nice move they pulled was that they used the recordings, for, like uh, like we just listened to the Smart Sessions um, that was supposed to be for the next. Uh, album on yeah. Sub Pop, they sent tapes of that out to record companies, yeah. and they they they, actually, they they
1: they added Love Bus to that, so it. was single, yeah. yeah. it wasn't just like oh, we have a tape of this, let's send it out. No, they consciously decided to add Love Bus to that and then send it out. So it was really thought of as as this is what we need to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and they labeled their um, uh, sessions uh, a demo yeah. when they were supposed to be like a legit yeah. uh, recording uh, session for for an album release. Yeah. So um, they they kind of went behind uh, Sub Pop's back
1: yeah, by,
0: by by doing that. Yeah, I was just uh, uh, flicking through the uh, book that uh, Danny Goldberg uh, wrote, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. who um, would uh, become their uh, manager um, pretty pretty soon after this. Um, he writes. The first words Kurt ever said to me were an empathetic, absolutely not, when I asked the band if they wanted to stay on Sub Pop. <laughs> so they That's just cute. wanted to get out and yeah. they wanted to have more budget, I think. Yeah, they wanted to have a, a better distribution. Yeah.
1: And, and and to be honest, I mean, they always wanted that. It was just that, that before they signed with Sub Pop, there wasn't that much room for them to wiggle because they weren't known yet so they tried the bigger uh, record labels uh, but nobody was interested
0: no but not not even the independent smaller exactly. record labels were interested <laughs> exactly so yeah. uh,
1: so uh, they 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 have uh, a lot to to thank sup pop for obviously
0: yeah and well sup pop did get their share Yeah. but i, th- I think what happened was that uh pop really uh, got the hype going, yep. then uh, Bleach was already one of the best selling albums that Sub Pop yes, had it was. then that band that had that had a tape with really accessible songs that you could actually sell to a broader audience yep. um, and they already had a, like a live reputation, yep. not always a very good live reputation <laughs> I think because sometimes their shows would be like train wrecks. but at least they got a buzz yep so good going on yep um
1: and and i think what also helped in this period and what i think is really important to to mention is we are talking about um kurt and and toby and and him getting into her music as well and and uh meeting other musicians through her that's what also happened when they were touring and also on the lookout for a new record label because they became more and more part of the music establishment, meeting other artists, meeting people that, that Kurt and Chris uh, were uh, looking up to um, and also getting that support from them. So becoming part of that music industry both influenced Kurt in his music writing uh, because he, he talked to a lot more musicians and it also helped them in eventually getting that uh, new deal because there were other artists who said, oh, like talk to this guy or to talk to our, our record label or talk to our manager, or I can introduce you to Dan, that person. So that was beneficial for them as well.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it also helped them uh, sell it to their, uh, to their like, community or to the scene that they were from. Uh, yeah. I think the biggest example of that is uh, Sonic Youth
2: yep.
0: uh, which had just signed uh, with a, with a major uh, label yes. were playing, were um, recording their uh, debut album on a major label they yep. had signed with uh, with a management company and they would still have like this underground indie exactly. credentials yep. and that's what Nirvana was looking for as well Yep so I think that really helped Kurt you know maybe justifying it for himself but also for the people around him he said well sonic youth uh, did it (laughs) and they're still cool exactly so we can do it as well as well and especially
1: because sonic youth really supported them in doing that as well Um, and kurt would always make jokes about oh we're selling out we're selling out um, because he knew it he had to sort of joke about it because of that. That yeah. having that people support. were
0: thinking it anyway. Or exactly. as some people were.
1: Yeah, yeah, but this was definitely the way for him to to. Thanks to Sonic Youth and a couple of other bands who were now going to major labels, it made it less. Um, less of a sellout for them. Yeah, too, and, and
0: so. they they really followed um, Sonic Youth lead because uh, yep. they signed with the same uh, management company from a uh, Danny Goldberg, who I just mentioned, Gold Mountain. Uh, they uh, eventually signed um, uh, with the same record label, Yes, they did, Geffen Records. Geffen. Although, well, apparently they shopped around a bit. There's <laughs> yes. some crazy stories about them meeting with record label executives.
1: Yeah and and some of those stories are really <laughs> like they came in and 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 apparently I don't know which one was that 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 there was nobody there to greet them or something like that. So it turned out to be like a major, major disappointment because it was sort of, (laughs) they were supposed to be like met by all of these (laughs) nice men in suits and and nobody was there because it was lunchtime or something like that. Oh, (laughs) Oh, I don't know that story. I
0: do know that uh, sometimes they uh, went out um, to have dinner with a record label people And they just invited a few random friends Because they <laughs> exactly. would get a free meal There was this one meeting where Kurt was outside Riding a kid's bike on the parking lot
1: Oh yeah, I read that one Yeah, I don't know okay. why you would do that it, Yeah But yeah, I, I, you can't blame them Because like we said, they were still broke They were still young Let's not forget that they were still yeah.
0: like Early 20s
1: Exactly, and then um, to be able to to have like major labels be interested in you and f- coming over and, and, and taking you for dinner or flying you out to somewhere. And I mean, yeah, obviously you're gonna, you're gonna enjoy yourself while <laughs> <Yeah>. doing that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, like we said, they eventually signed with uh, Geffen Records. Yep. Um, Sub Pop got a pretty good deal out of it, I think. yes Well, especially if you uh, know where uh, later things uh, to come, but they, they got a, um, a decent amount of money for it.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, Because they were, let's not forget, Nirvana still was on the contract with Sub Pop, and they had <laughs> yeah. the um, because, agreement because yeah. they could. Um, Sub Pop would have like first rights to a new contract. So if they went to somebody else, they would have to like yeah. give them something. And also,
0: they would have. Uh, they had a contract for two more albums. Yeah, and and let's not forget what well, we already talked about it last time that they only got the contract because. Kurt took a library book about the music <laughs> business read that he should have a contract exactly. and Chris one night showed up drunk at the <laughs> house of the <laughs> um, uh, yeah. one of the record label guys and then they got a contract yeah. so um, so that
1: actually the fact that they did that was good for Soppocherville yeah because otherwise. they got a bunch
0: of money which got them out of I think their, their most most um, Pressing yeah. financial problems. Because
1: as we said, they're still going. So yeah,
0: they would get 2% of the sales of the next album yeah. of Nirvana, which was a major, massive, super yeah. success.
1: 2% doesn't sound much, but 2% it, of Nevermind is a yeah. lot of money.
0: <laughs> and also, if you look at your uh, the back of your copy of Nevermind, you can see the Sub up logo, because that was yeah. also a part of the deal, yeah. that their logo would be uh, on there exactly and well it reached a lot of people so Definitely. it and, really and, helped their brand
1: and they were still mentioned because um, uh, like I mentioned before like I really got to know sub pop through like MTV and 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 music uh, magazines and stuff like that because they were always associated with Nirvana and a couple of the other bands so Back then, I probably wouldn't have even known that they went to another label and having Sub Pop still on there, it's just yeah. like they've become a synonym with with that whole grunge movement. So that was good for them.
0: Yeah. So Sub Pop uh, did did all right. I uh, yeah. I think. Um, I th- I think those are the most important stepping stones for the big success that was to follow, like a year later. Yeah. Uh, Kurt writing some r- really good new songs. Being
1: inspired by his new girlfriend, and yeah. then, which we haven't mentioned yet, but they broke
0: up. Oh yeah, right.
1: And when they broke up, he wrote some songs about that as well. So he yeah. was still inspired by her.
0: Which yeah. Is good. So 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 they had the, the new songs. They had a new a label, the new management, the new drummer. I think those were the ma- most important things that happened right before they yeah. they they broke. Also, they had a connection with Sonic Youth. Yeah which we will talk really about important. a bit more uh, uh, next time. But unfortunately, there was another thing that happened during that period that foreshadowed later uh, things to come, but uh, in a more um, dark way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt started using heroin, at least yep. to most reports. Um, yeah, you read about it. I think it was in a period that after he broke up with um, with Toby yeah. and he was living alone in the house and probably felt like shit. Yep. Also,
1: and, and, and wanted to try new things apparently.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Out of curiosity, uh, see what. I that mean. Was I all think
0: about. they were all drinking a lot and yep. smoking a lot of weed and yep. doing, dropping acid and stuff like that. But heroin was like next boundary to cross. Yeah, I, I think.
1: And I think he said before that he he would never do that. But well, if if you're interested in that kind of stuff and you have it. Easy access to it. Um, You can see that happening, unfortunately. Although I think at at that time, when he tried it out a couple of times, he didn't mention it to many people because he knew how people would react and people would be worried about him. Yeah. Which they were. Yeah, and
0: rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, he he did a couple of things that people never expected from him. (laughs) I mean, um, he also was really against guns. Yep. But... um, I've read that uh, during this uh, time he, uh, he did go uh, to the woods with his friend uh, Dylan Carlson right. who uh, kind of liked guns and yep. they would shoot at you know, like target practice and stuff like that yep. nothing bad going on but you no, know, but still... first he was really anti-guns and then he did go out to the woods yep. to, to shoot them at first, uh, yeah, like uh, like you just said he would never do heroin but then he did yep. although we can be sure that he started doing it this period because later he said that he had done it before and yep. uh, 1980s. Exactly. I don't think that story has ever been confirmed.
1: No. No, he's the only one who said that, so you don't know and
0: I don't think it's Probably not true.
1: Probably not and even if it is it's it's less relevant because he he at least he didn't form a addiction back then no. and he wasn't doing that just yet at this moment but apparently he was using it more and more and it was um um Slightly more accessible in in like the the groups he would hang out with as well. Um, we have the the uh, unfortunate death of the singer of Mother Love Bone yeah. in that same period. Andrew uh, Wood. Andrew Wood, who Andrew Wood, who, uh, who was the singer of uh, another Seattle-based band, um, and uh, they just well they haven't hadn't even released their first album yet. I think that was only released after he died.
0: Yeah, but I, uh, from what I've read about it, they were seen as like one of the biggest promises from yep. the, from that yep. scene.
1: Definitely, and, and he died of a heroin ov- overdose, um, which was obviously a shock, but also says something about the accessibility of heroin um, yeah. in that scene at that moment probably.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I've, I've read that some some people call it this was like a, like a pandemic uh, right. rise of of, yeah. of of heroin use, and it uh, it um, destroyed a lot of lives. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm dare to say. Uh, let's let's listen to Mother Love Bone because yeah. I think um, it also makes it very clear that you can call it a scene, but they were so different. All of those yeah. bands, they yeah. were. Lumped together under the label <laughs> grunge, grunge, especially later it. on, but they yep. were completely different. So here's um, uh, Star Dog Champion by uh, Mother Love Bone.
1: really like their work. Um, it's a shame that they had to cut it short. And also his, his singing voice, I think, is, is really interesting. However, the some of the musicians from Mother Love Bone did continue to make music. Um, yeah. And um, as you can hear, there is a connection with Pearl Jam in there, yeah. a band that also formed in this period Um, people usually think that like Pearl Jam and Nirvana are always like the two bands like the the Blur and Oasis of (laughs) the Beatles and the Stones uh, which which is actually very much untrue because Pearl Jam only formed around this period Pearl Jam was a combination of people who'd been in other bands including Mother Love Bone yeah Green River Green River Um, the singer of Pearl Jam, Eddie Werder wasn't local at all. No. He It was like
0: Pearl Jam's <laughs> Dave Grohl. They just exactly.
1: <laughs> guy. Um, yeah, so so I always find that interesting that, that actually their their existence is very different from a lot of the rest of the scene. But uh, yeah they did they did come from Mother Love Bone as one of the bands. Um, if if Andrew Wood hadn't hadn't died that Soon and so unfortunate, uh, we probably wouldn't have had Pearl Jam, no. which is also weird to think about. But I would yeah. have loved to hear more of the Model of Bone combination because that was a really interesting band, and 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 it made sense that they were hyped that much.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah, some people said that um, the 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 grunge Seattle scene didn't lose its innocence when Kurt Cobain committed suicide, but when and exactly. who would overdose yeah. and died. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's it's a sad thing to know that, uh, you know, there were so much opportunities, yep. both with Mother Lovebone And, uh, I mean, uh, Kurt um, did get his big break yep. and his fame and, and everything um, that comes by it. But also there's, you know, with him starting to use heroin with his health problems yep. because uh, he uh, got his um, uh, stomach uh, sickness diagnosed around this time yeah, as well. and yeah, well. um, so there's also a, a seed of the the sad ending of the whole adventure Yeah, yeah planted definitely in this period
1: yeah, and I think we we shouldn't forget that this whole the whole Seattle scene as it's called, even though they're not all from Seattle no. <laughs> but it's different than than like coming from California or whatever it's it's a different area of of the country. there's people with different backgrounds. there's uh, the scene is totally different. so you can imagine that that this combination of of being like a population of people who just have to work hard for the living, um, combined with music like this, combined with artistic ideas that might not always um, have their their, uh, um, their follow-through the way you want it that that could could inspire both sad things and happy things as well and i think that is that is one of the things that you can see in this whole scene that's going on with many bands during that time
0: yeah true so i think those were the most important things we needed to talk about um there's one correction we need to make and last time we said that in uh 1989 they uh, met iggy pop after a show
1: it's 1990,
0: right? Yeah, it, yep. it was 1990. Yeah. And um, but the story that we told uh, last <laughs> time. Was correct in a way that they were really embarrassed And they Because they felt they played a shitty show I think at one point maybe even Kurt Was wearing an Iggy Pop t-shirt So it was very embarrassing for him (laughs) And uh, to punish himself um, Chris shaved his head Which was really uh, Unfortunate because they were making A video for Sub Pop For In Bloom That like we just heard they had already recorded And that's why in some shots he has long hair And in some (laughs) shots he's bald So there was a a bit uh, a clumsy move, and also a mistake that we needed to uh, to correct. Yep. Uh, anything you want to um, add to this uh, episode? Uh,
1: no, no, I don't think so. I think um, like next episode we'll talk about never mind, right? Yeah. yeah. because I think that's that's then the thing that we need to end on, um, because obviously now with uh, Dave being there, they um, went into the studio again. Yeah. Um, And there they recorded uh, what would become Nevermind. Yeah. um, With the same producer, but in a different studio, and um, they were really interesting recording sessions. Um, That would yeah. Oh, there's so
0: much interesting (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's going to be hard to have um, uh, even uh, just side A of Nevermind in one. Uh,
1: exactly. So not too a- long a podcast. Uh, <laughs> there's episode. a lot to do, uh, to look forward to. Uh,
0: yeah. So let's uh, close this one off with uh, something that happened uh, towards the end of 1990 mm-hmm. when Kurt decided to call up uh, K A O S Radio. Oh right. Yeah. Um, to so. show uh, hosted by uh, Calvin Johnson, yep. which he had met before, who was in Beat Happening and who yeah. was. Uh, Um, a big uh, it was a guy from uh, the K Records uh, record label and he just called up uh, because he had some uh, songs he wanted to play and he said well just come on over and play them he played them uh, acoustically among those songs was a Lithium which would a year later would become a worldwide uh, success (laughs)
2: yes
0: Uh, that's not the one I wanted to play now uh, but there's a song uh, called Opinion which oh, right. yeah. has never made it to an album oh. or or even a full band demo I, no. I think and I think it's really a it's a nice song and also a nice event that uh, you know at this point he was alone in a radio studio yeah. with his acoustic guitar and a year from, from then he would be one of the biggest rock stars <laughs> yep. in the world so um, we'll go out uh, with that one but not before uh, I'd like to thank you for uh, doing another podcast yes, with me. Uh, thank
1: you for having me
0: again. I want to thank everybody uh, listening. Yep. Uh, you can uh, find us on uh, facebook.com slash Nirvana podcast yep. or you can send us an email if you uh, <laughs> write it to surewoodpodcast at gmail.com uh, you can find us on Spotify on most uh, podcast platforms uh, so just uh, go look for us and uh, you'll uh, you'll be alright uh, and to go out I'd like to thank uh, Joop Hulleghi piano player of the channel Nirvana Piano <laughs>
1: yes uh,
0: who has uh, provided our theme music
1: yep. and please uh, be back next time uh, when we discuss Nevermind
0: yeah side A yes. first and oh we've got so much cool <laughs> stuff to share yeah. looking forward to it already so thank you for listening and until next time hey
1: kids got a special treat for you today Kurt Cobain's here you know Kurt Cobain from Aberdeen
2: Going on, baby. Not a damn thing. I see. How are you? I'm was pretty good. Did you that? Um, not really. No. Well, uh, I was uh, I was fine. I was just hanging out here on the boy meets girl
1: show, and um, you called up and said I want to play some songs. So I
0: said, This is rocking good news. <laughs> Bloody brilliant.
2: So uh. What's going on? Got some new tunes? Can share them with us, or what? Yes, I'm going to share some new tunes with you. Cool. And everyone else. Um, I just wrote most of the lyrics this evening. On the, in the car on the way up here? While I was driving with one foot. Uh-huh. I want to be as spontaneous as possible, you know. So, um, um, yeah, that's what I did. And I just thought I would just come here and say hi. We'll let her rip. Okay.
0: Oh, this song's called Opinion.
2: Congratulations, you have won. It's a year's subscription. I'll buy puns and it makes your story. I'm concerned and I set it up before it burns. My opinions. Mm-hmm. My opinions. Mm-hmm. Opinions.
0: Hey everybody, um, thanks for still uh, listening. I wanted to add just one more thing about, uh, about this song and this uh, uh, performance. Um, I'm gonna uh, play the end of it. And after that he says, uh, don't you think it sounds just like Texman? Uh, which is a famous uh, Beatles, Beatles song, song. Yep. Uh, I don't think it sounds no. just like Tex-Man No, no, no But it's uh, interesting I want to, wanted to point out that he himself uh, himself, uh, Sees um, similarities between his songwriting And that of uh, the, the Beatles, Beatles. Yeah. So uh, that's just the last thing I wanted to say <laughs> Once again, uh, thank you for listening And uh, talk to you next time Opinions.
2: <laughs> Opinions.
0: Don't you think that song sounds like Taxman?
1: Nothing sounds like Taxman after I heard the jam doing um, Start. You ever heard that song? Uh, it sounds exactly like Taxman. So, I mean, uh, you couldn't even come close to sounding like Taxman like the jam. was uh, like
2: Well, you know, there's a song called Mr. Cigarette Man by Herman's Hermits. I- <laughs>